I'm David Bryan. And I'm Brenda Bryan. This is Renovation Made Right. considering a remodeling project now or sometime in the future, Renovation Made Right will be your single source to help guide you through getting the project you want and an experience that you'll enjoy. Renovation Made Right will tackle topics that range from how to select the right project and contractor to tips on surviving the remodeling process to best practices for kitchen or bath design. We have over 30 years of experience in the industry and are owners of the well-established design-build remodeling company, Black Dog Builders, in Salem and Nashua, New Hampshire. We're sitting down with industry professionals and past clients to tap into their experiences and insights so we can equip you with the tools you need to make your own project a success. So, welcome back to Renovation Made Right. I am Brenda Bryant. And I am David Bryant. And today, we're going to do something different and actually fun. Hey, no, no, no. I don't appreciate the fact that you're implying that all the other information Your has not been fun. Your stuff is not fun. My stuff is so fun. So not fun. But today, we're going to have a little fun because we're going to talk about design. And it is a little budget related, so it is a little bit not fun, like in your category. So you can. Well, fine, yeah, you first can... of all, I feel like you're being a little disparaging. <laughs> I right? am. Yes. I am a fun guy. Yes. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. So, anyway, we're going to talk about designing frugally, how to figure out to get the most bang for your buck. Right. So, I want to give you some ideas about how to think about things so that you can. Um, really come away with a project that you're really excited about and it really meets your needs, but you didn't have to overspend to get it and you made good decisions on the way. So before we do that, let me also just mention, so um, a lot of what we talk about here are based on consumer seminars we've done over the years. So we've, you know, both Brenda and I have done different seminars on different topics. Some of these are kind of visual. This is a very visual topic. So Merrill, our producer, will be putting some of the images that help frame this conversation in our show notes. So for, for listeners who want to sort of see some of the things that Brent's talking about and and how you, you sort of get more for your dollar, mm-hmm. uh, some of that visual stuff will back it up in the show notes. Right, exactly. So, and you may not have noticed that in many of these shows, Dave does 75% of the talking and I do 25% of the talking. That's so untrue. It is so true. Plus he <laughs> talks faster. So in terms of like words per minute... <laughs> He's definitely filling up the space. Oh, my Lord. So this is my, ch- this I'm is le- my I'm chance. I'm leaving. That's yeah. it. <laughs> it's fine. We can do this without you. <laughs> I'm not leaving. No. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, the, the title of this is, is Designing Frugally, Starting Big, and Ending Small. So if we want to make the most out of our budget, we're going to start with the big concerns, and then we're going to work our way to the small. So the big concerns are layout. So I'm going to take, for instance, we're going to be designing a kitchen. And so layout is the first big thing that we want to focus on. Then we're going to get to the medium stuff, which is the materials that we put in that layout. And then we're going to go to the small things, which are the accessories, the colors, the details. Yeah, and I want to jump in on the layout side of things because I think that that is one of those areas when clients are thinking about who they're going to work with, that is a huge issue because, um, you know, design is design. But good design and bad design you know, th- th- there is bad design out there, oh, right? Terrible so, design. so yeah. you know, we're often going into kitchens that were maybe builder built and builder mm-hmm. design, and and the designs are horrible. We got the exact same square footage to work with, the exact same volume to work with, but just finding someone who's going to be a little smarter and a little more thoughtful right. is not going to cost you any more in design, but yield you so much more, right? In, in terms of enjoyment and and the usefulness of your space. So. <clears throat> If we're talking about bigger projects, so there are three general ways to change your space. So you can use the existing space that you've got. You can 
go up. Like if we were talking about taking um, uh, a cape and turning it into a second uh, two-story building, or if you were talking about even just using like some capes have unfinished space above, you can go up. Um, and uh, or even if you have a ranch, you know, we've done a lot of projects. We've added a second floor to a ranch, turn a ranch into a cape or a colonial. Or a colonial. Yep. Right. So those kinds of things, and then going out. And in terms of how frugal each one of those is. Obviously, using existing space is going to be the most cost-effective. Right. Going up is the next, and going out is the most expensive. So, because going out involves doing um, landscaping, new foundations, you know, those kinds of things. So, there's right. costs there that aren't um, covered when you're going up, or even just staying in the existing space. So, let's talk about the most frugal way to go which is to reuse existing space. So this is a really good way to go if you have spaces in the home that you rarely or never use. Right. So let's say... Dining room. Dining room, right. Say you want to do a kitchen remodel and adjacent to that kitchen uh, you have a formal dining room and you use the formal dining room four times a year. Right. And only for, you know, Christmas... Thanksgiving, Easter, you know, whatever, you know, big parties. But other than that, you're eating in the kitchen. Well, this is a perfect opportunity to bring the kitchen up a notch. So in other words, like if you have a formal dining room that's really sort of dressy and you have a kitchen that's super informal, bring the kitchen up and bring the dining room down. Right. So in other words, meet in the middle. Make them make them both sort of business casual, as we, it were. We, we go into a lot of homes where the dining room is effectively like a museum for their grandparents' dining set. Right, exactly. Right. They have this dining set they inherited. And, and yes, it has some sentimental value, but they never use the space. Right. And that's a very expensive way to... to to use like if you if you're thinking about how how you're using each square foot in your house, it's a really expensive way to just have this museum, right. like you said. You know, take that's a kind of ridiculous. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take a picture of it and get rid of that furniture and, and let's reuse that space. So again, if you have you know formal dining room, that's a great way. Same thing, formal living room. People are now using their family rooms all the time for entertaining, and people would never go into their formal living rooms. Right. Um, spare bedrooms, attic space, basement space. So where you have within your existing footprint space that you don't use often, or you use it sparingly or poorly, you know, it's just poorly organized, um, these are all things that you can use. So look at your the space that you have and really think about, you know, maybe even on just a floor plan, like this space I never use, this space I use constantly. Have, so how have, can we connect those two and make them both better? Yeah, we have tons of clients who start out the process and they talk to us and they, the first thing they assume is, I need more space. Yeah. Right? And what they don't really factor in is they've got lots of square. If you think, homes in the United States are big. Yeah. Relative to a lot of the world, right? right. And and often well, they're too big, big. They're big even compared to, like, say, the average size home in 1960 was like 1,800 to 2,000 right. square feet. Right. They're now 3,000 to 4,000 square feet at the average new home being built. That is, right. and and yet the families have gotten smaller. Exactly. You know, in 1960, people were having an average of four to like, you know, and there's families with 10 kids. The the house that we renovated when we moved in, they had eight kids and they had 1,800 square feet of space. Right. Eight kids! Right. In 18, I, like, I can't even think, but... I think it, they, couldn't, they couldn't figure out what was causing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they never got any quiet space. Yeah. But, but the point is, we do not need the space that we have right now. It's it's ridiculous. Um, so really take a look at your house and think about what space am I not using and how can I use that better without having to do a huge $100,000 addition. Right. Right. 
Um, even just like taking down a wall, creating creating flow between two spaces. All of a sudden you have what is essentially a great new addition, but you're just using all the space you already own. So um, one thing to think about, um, and these are just like little hints I'm gonna throw in every once in a while. If you're doing an upstairs bath project and your laundry room is in the basement, think about bringing the laundry room up while you're doing that upstairs bath redo. And I say that because, you know, if all your laundry is generated, say you're in a two-story home, all your laundry is generated on the second floor, and you're going down two stories to do your laundry into this dank basement, and then you're going up two stories to put it all away again, that's ridiculous. You can bring your washer and dryer upstairs, put it on the second floor at the same time you're doing your bath, and you've just made your living just much more comfortable. Right. So that's just one thought. Um, as far as uh, going up, um, you don't have any foundation, you have any landscaping. So this is the next category of, right? So like we've already said, okay, I'm using my existing space, but now I need more space. Um, so let's talk about that in the context of what it might be valuable, right? So so in that scenario, let's say you're, uh, you, you bought a starter home, but you ended up falling in love with the area. Mm -hmm. Now the kid, now you've got kids, and now the schools, they're in the school system, and you found out you really love the school system, and you really want to stay, and you've and you like friends. your neighbors. Right. right. So, so the idea of turning uh, a ranch or a cape into a colonial, um, it, it can really be compelling, right? Right. And, and get you on the same footprint, double the size home effectively. Right. 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 Which is what we did. So just so you know, my, my husband, David, and I, um, we bought a ranch, and it was pretty run down. Um, in a neighborhood and we moved in and our thought was okay we're going to renovate it and we're going to sell it but in the first week that we were there um i had one neighbor come uh, two two different neighbors come over with bottles of wine oh, a neighbor across the street invited me over for tea i found out that i was surrounded by teenage girls ripe for babysitting for the next <laughs> for the next really 10 years like right. i was covered for babysitting and i had two two very small children at the time and i thought i'm I'm not moving. Right. This this is the neighborhood. Right. So we took that ranch and turned it into a cape. And so basically almost doubled the size of the space. I mean, we could have made it a colonial too, but I just like capes a little bit better. Um, so so we almost doubled the size of, of the home from 1,800 to about 3,300 square feet. And it made a huge difference. And right. we have four kids. I'm just going to let you know. 3,300 square feet and four kids. And then we always have guests and it seems so. You know, right. That doesn't seem outrageous to me. Um but I do understand that <laughs> times past, you you people survived in smaller spaces. Anyway, so going up is uh, you know your second best option um, after using existing space, and that is because you have no, no foundation costs, you have no landscaping costs, you can almost double your square footage or double your square footage, and you can change the appraisal valuation of your home. Right, that's a nice so, nice piece of it too. Right, so like for instance, a colonial will appraise higher than a ranch um, given the same square footage. Right, so um, that will help. So that's that's another way to look at it. Um, here's another thing: when you're doing um, projects, if you if you know that you want to do multiple projects but you don't have the budget right now, you can stage your projects out. You can do a comprehensive like this is what I wanted this to look like in ten years, but I know I can only do I can only do one chunk at a time. Um, you can stage your projects to be like, okay, we're going to do this one now, we're going to do this one in five years, and we're going to do this one in eight and, years. And the key to that, though, is spending time working with your designer to make sure they understand the long-term plan. Right. And that we're thinking about that at each one of the, let's say it's a three-project phase, or three, so it's like a three-phase project, right? And 
Um, and so that we don't do some infrastructure stuff in phase one that has to get reworked in phase two. We want to be knowing where right. the finish line is going to be. So when we're doing things like running main main water lines or running heating lines or duct lines or power, right. we're doing that with the future in mind. Right. Like you can run the, the rough plumbing for this, this second phase of the project while you're doing the roughing in for the first phase of the project, exactly. which is like very minimal cost difference, but will save you a bunch of money in the, in the second phase. Right. Right. So... The third way of changing your space is obviously going out. And I've already talked to you about all the reasons that, you know, you don't necessarily want to think about this one first. But often we come in and we say, you know, people say, I need an addition yep. because I don't have the space that's working for me now. But it is the least frugal solution. Um, but it does have advantages if you're already using all your available space and you're using it well. Um, or if your home is very tailored. And for, for example, what I mean by that is if, like, you live in an antique home, and it has some architectural integrity to it, um, and you want to, you don't necessarily want to take down walls and create an open concept, and you know, and you and you feel very tied to the integrity of that home. Well, then, yeah, you know, maybe a family room addition is is better than trying to open up an, a wall on a formal living room, which is like you know has paneling and you know some some really intricate details. Yeah, or That's or you or you might have a specific desire, and maybe you want. Uh, there's no part of the house that's really in sun and you've got a nice lot and you you want to have a better connection to the outdoors and so a sunroom or mm -hmm. a very well lit, you know uh, that's a, a completely different functioning space so there are there are plenty of reasons and plenty of arguments to support the idea of an addition but your argument your your point really is don't go there first don't go there think first, about right. all these other options right. that get you kind of more bang for the buck right exactly and even like you know talk about a sunroom or a space like if you have a south facing exposure can you rework in the existing space to get right. more light in yep. there can you get better windows can you get you know so there's there's ways to do that skylights, kind of skylights exactly um to to get uh that kind of idea into an existing space so think about those first before you automatically you know do this knee-jerk reaction and if you have lots of money and it just doesn't matter to you great you know but again we have not run into really any clients at any time who said money is no object and then actually meant it when there was push that comes one. to shove. Yeah. yeah, but he didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. Right. So, you know. Um, so here's a hint. I'm just going to throw this in there. When you're doing designing, if you have furniture that you know you want to use again, measure it and put it in the layout so that you know where things are going to go and you can put doors in appropriate places and so that you have furniture like say say you're going to reuse your grandmother's hutch and you love this hutch um, and it has great meaning for you if you don't know how big it is and you don't design it into the space when you're done with it it may not fit well let's just let carry that one point further so that's very true i think of of specific pieces you fall in love with that yep. you have to have right mm -hmm. but it's also true that you make sure that you encourage your designer whomever you're working with to put actual furnishings that you know that are to scale right. in your space because they help give you a sense of what's going on. And even something as simple as as putting an island, like an eat at island, if you don't put the stools in the drawing in the island, right. it doesn't help you understand the impact of the stools and the island on the flow of the space right. and the and the you know the, the clearances and the distance. So that's mm -hmm. that's true of, of any room you're gonna design. But, it, but it's often overlooked. Yes, right? it is. And, and well, here's another big thing. Like if you don't, like say you're designing an addition, family room addition, and you don't put the um, furniture in it, right. 
there have been times people have finished projects and cannot get the furniture they want that they bought right. into the space. Right. Uh, you know, so you have to have have to think. Oh, you know, I'm going to put a piano in here. I need a door that's big enough to get the piano through. Right. Or so a great example. So it's not uncommon for you know people who want to add a garage. Uh, maybe a garage with a family room above. That's a 24 by 24 foot space, typically. Mm-hmm. Two car garage, 24 by 24. That's 576 square feet. The family, the garage is no problem. Two cars fit quite nicely in that garage and work right. well. It's the how you how you lay out the space above. People think, oh, we'll put a family room above the garage. Well, that's a huge, it's a huge family space, room, right? Yeah. If you think that that space is only going to function as one room, and and you want to watch the game on Sunday. And you you're put the TV against the wall. Yeah, you're going to need binoculars right. from the far end of that room, right? right? So, <laughs> so you got to think about all right. How am I going to lay out that space? It's that's, that's right. really important. And 24 square spaces are hard to lay out, by the way. You know, right. so that that can be difficult in terms of furniture layout. But if you say, okay, I'm going to lay out this space, and I know I I have to stay within a certain footprint, um, and I uh, and I put furniture in there. If I'm if I'm laying it out, and it needs to be a smaller scale of furniture. I mean, you know, the, the, in the 80s and 90s and, and 2000s, it seems like every furniture manufacturer is making these big, giant, overstuffed mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. And the fashion has changed to a certain extent now. They're, they're down, more scaled down, like sort of a 50s style where it's just a, a little bit more minimalist. Um, you need to think about, okay, what kind of furniture do I really want in here? So I often recommend when you're, when you're designing, go to a furniture store. If you know you're going to be buying new furniture for this space, go to the furniture store and pick out the stuff that really speaks to you sure. and measure it and say, okay, my couch is going to be 98 by 40 right. and I need to find a space for that and my, and my chairs are going to be this size because frankly, if you, if you do a scaled down version of furniture, you know, like a little more streamlined, you can get three people sitting on a sofa that's significantly smaller than a big giant overstuffed one. And you need to know that when you're laying out a room. Is it going to work for this big overstuffed stuff that you love? Yeah, and what are the, or, yeah. or do you like the minimalist stuff and therefore can make the space a little bit smaller, which will save you money? And what are the non-negotiables in your priority list? And if one of them is you know, seating and, and a certain kind of furniture, right. that's got to get designed in first and right. you can make other stuff work around it. Right, exactly. Right. So those are kind of big picture things, right? So we're going from big to small. So those were kind of like, okay, how do we how do we use the space we have now? How do we work with it? The second one is talking about materials. This is the second level of uh, budget drivers that are going to affect how much this project is going to cost you. And those are things like cabinetry, the flooring, the counters, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting. Those are the things that there's great variation in price. You know, I, I said in the last show that you, you can get cabinetry for your basic kitchen that is going to cost $5,000 and the same exact, not the same exact layout, but, the, you know, the, the same general layout could cost $50,000. And that's all about the, the quality of construction, the, the longevity of it. You know, if you're, I'm only going to be in a house for five years or seven years, maybe I'm not going to... Oh, like overinvest right. in the cabinetry because I'm not going to see that yeah, or the on look investment. or you, you can only access certain styles of doors and right. woods and species and things right. like that and right. certain high end lines right. right exactly so this is this is a big swing um, there's certain products like you can get with semi custom cabinetry you can actually get really nice well made will last you a long time products in a in a semi custom cabinet line that is not going to be at the very high end it's going to be sort of in the middle and. Um, you know, it'll last you a long time. One thing to remember when you're buying cabinetry, 
is that it is in a, a lot of ways like furniture. Mm -hmm. So people sometimes say, well, you know, I really want the best cabinetry. And you can buy cabinetry that will last 100 years. It will last 100 years. You're going to be tired of it in 25. Right. So if you're going to be in this house, remember that to a certain extent, it's a fashion um, purchase and you might be replacing it. Now, I'm going to make one caveat on that is that if you live in a house that was, say, built in 1920 and you're going to match the style of cabinetry to what was originally in that space, that actually has more longevity to it, visual longevity, because it matches the house. Right, right. Um, so, so in that, maybe you want a little bit better quality because you know that it's always going to match the house and it's going to feel appropriate there. So it's right. not going to go out of style. Which, by the way, is something we talked about in an earlier show. Um, but there's a, there's finding the balance between your own style and what's right for the house. Right. right. And and how much you care about resale versus not resale. Because mm -hmm. if you don't care about resale at all and you're going to die in this house that, and, and you are in love with something that doesn't really fit the house, who the hell cares? If you love it, have right. it. It's yours. Right? Exactly. But if you're thinking seriously about selling in a certain window of time, you know, and you don't make good choices. When your realtor comes in to assess the house and figure out what they can market for, or list it for, they're going to be taken aback yeah. by your choices that don't fit the house. Right. Or even if you just are thinking about, you know, the fashion of the moment, whatever's popular at the moment, and it doesn't necessarily go with the house. Yeah. When when you sell it, it's gonna it's gonna look like, oh yeah, you did your kitchen ten years ago, right. and it's very obvious to me because this is what was in style ten years ago. Exactly. So you need to think about that. Um, so one thing I wanted to talk about before, this, we have enough content here in this in this topic for comfortably two different shows. So we yeah. should probably do like another topic, uh, another point, and then and sort of bring that to closure so we keep these. And then we'll do part two. Yeah, we'll do part two. Exactly right. Okay. So let's just do a little brief primer on cabinetry, and then we'll wrap it up from them, and then we'll, we'll pick up. Okay. So in cabinetry, there are basically three different groupings. There's stock, and stock cabinetry means it comes off the shelf in certain sizes and um, colors and door styles, and that's all you get. There is no ability to change anything. It is the least expensive. Um, it's typically the lowest quality and the lowest price. Um, so it's great for use for like rental properties, resale properties, stuff that um, you're not going to be in for a long time or you won't have to look at. Um, all the time. Semi-custom is probably the best value there is because there's more styles, the quality is good, um, the price is moderate, and it will last as long as you typically will find it fashionable and sometimes longer. Like I said, you can take a, a semi-custom line and put it in a, in a kitchen, uh, you know, a period kitchen, make it look period appropriate, and it won't go out of style. Um, and then there's custom. And custom basically is what it says you can get any size any style they can make their own door styles you can get custom paint colors you can get custom paint um, like uh, finishes like striers and you know all kinds of unusual things and it will last longer than you will you know it's very well made but the costs are very high so if again if budget is a concern of yours but you want something that you're going to be happy with long term i would push you towards semi-custom um, you're going to get the best bang for your buck in the in the shortest term and also get quite a bit of flexibility in terms of what it looks like. Right, right. So we're going to leave off here for today. But so before we do that, I just yeah. want to pick up. So I agree with you, uh, mm -hmm. and this is a good spot, spot to us to, for us to end. But I, I want to just drill a little deeper into cabinetry for a second and talk about um, construction mm -hmm. because uh, you know we're in New England, right? So we're uh, we are uh, recording this this podcast at our, our main office in Salem, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. So it's in, and it happens to be a beautiful winter day today, covered in snow. New Englanders think differently about some things. New Englanders think differently about 
like wood, right? And so yes. we, we occasionally have consumers that come to us and say, I want an all wood cabinet. Mm -hmm. And then you ask the question, why do you want an all wood cabinet? And there's often not a really substantive answer to back that up because they, I think they heard that their grandfather built all wood cabinets at one point in time mm -hmm. um, and that all wood is better, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but, it, but I think it's important that we understand that the materials we put into cabinets are purpose-built, right? There's a reason why um, that, that we, we use certain materials in certain places, and there's, there's value in using certain materials in certain places. So I would put it to you that like a hardwood face frame and a hardwood door and, and drawer and so forth, that has value. That's right. dur there's durability, yep. there's you know, all that. Um, but whether your carcass, the box of your cabinet, is plywood mm -hmm. versus furniture board versus particle board, um, you know, the... We'll uh, do a quick explanation. What's the difference between furniture board and particle board? Okay, great. So so particle board, typically the, the components that make up particle board, um, it, particle board comes in sheets. So when it's at the, at the cabinet company being cut into the pieces for your cabinet, they come in you know, typical large sheets like plywood does, four by eight or larger. Um, and particle board, the flakes in the particle board are more coarse. They're larger. They're mm -hmm. uh, they're chunkier, right? So it's not a good substrate maybe for certain veneers. So mm -hmm. if the side of your cabinet's going to have a wood veneer on it, you might see those lumps in a particle board, right? Right. right. It'll telegraph through. Right. Or if there's a vinyl, sometimes right. a lot of cabinets have a vinyl finish on the outside, especially more budget-driven cabinets. Mm -hmm. They have a vinyl with looks like like a wood imprint. Like a wood grain. You right. can see that, right? Furniture board. Um, is a variation of particle board, but it's a much, much finer particle, right? And right, so, so you get a more, better finish Right, so, it's, so it's, it's smoother, it's more consistent, it's more, right? Um, and then plywood is plywood. Plywood is, is multiple veneers uh, that are laminated together that create probably more stability, probably some more strength and mm -hmm. so forth. But I w here's the, the real question. Like, and I will have customers who will say, clients will say, well, you know, particle board falls apart if it gets wet. Completely true. True. Right? Plywood does not like getting wet either. Either like the, right. pl the plywood you use for cabinetry is not excited about getting wet. No, right. It's None a, of it is excited getting wet. Right. right. And so anything, uh, most products that we use, will deform or or deflect or be problematic. And that's true of a hardwood floor. If you have Absolutely. a flood and you f and you have a fully one hundred percent wood floor, it will buckle. It's done. It's done. Right. So so the the point is, don't flood your kitchen. Right. Right. <laughs> like like if if <laughs> that's, that's not really the point. Well, but. But it honestly is, right? Like, if you're thinking, like, I don't want my particle board to deform and, like, blow up if it gets wet. Well, you shouldn't be flooding your kitchen, right? right. Like, if that happens, then all bets are off anyway. Well, my point, the, the, for, for me, where I was really going with that was, for the consumer who's trying to save, uh, being, being cost conscious, if you put in a great semi-custom cabinet, many manufacturers will say, okay, we'll sell you that cabinet as a particle board cabinet or a furniture board cabinet. Yeah, that's their or, basic spec. Or a plywood cabinet. Right. Right? And some folks will say, oh, I want to have plywood. A and I would put it to you that that's probably, as we're talking about f being frugal and still getting a fabulous result, mm -hmm. I would put it to you that in most cases, uh, particle board cabinetry is perfectly fine. Yep. It's structurally sound. You can put a granite countertop on it, no problems. You can hang it on the wall, no problem. Uh, and, and there are cabinets that we sell that some of our best cabinets are particle board based cabinets because that's the way that particular manufacturer chooses to go to market. So don't get hung up on that uh, material choice. It's not it's not meaningful in a big way. And, mm -hmm. and and unless you plan on bringing clients or bringing guests in your home to say, hey. Did you know that these are all plywood cabinets while you're having cocktails? Right. Then it and by the way, who's going to say that? Right. Yeah. Does it really matter? Don't go to that person's house. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's a boring person. Right. So anyway, that, while you're on that, I just thought that might be a relevant topic to turn right. No, that is very good. Um, so we're going to wrap. Right? We, we are going to wrap at this point. Ah, let me let me add one Wait, more one thing. One more thing. One more thing. Um, 
you can actually use different quality levels within cabinet lines very yes. often. You can get the same door style and same wood and same finish on the outside, and you can do different different levels. So, so a lot of manufacturers, especially semi, semi-custom, will sell sort of like, you know, a stock at one level. But say you wanted to add some details to an island that you couldn't get in the stock line, you can actually bump up for just those few cabinets. Um, for that one piece. So you can add a lot of wow that way. You can also um, add a lot of, you can take a stock cabinet um, and add applied moldings, do compound crowns, do all kinds of fancy things to take a line that's just sort of basic and really make it shine. So there are a lot of flexibilities. If you're working with a good designer, they can take some stuff that is not that expensive to begin with and really just punch it up to make it look awesome. I couldn't agree more. All right, so we're gonna wrap this up now. This is Renovation Made Right. Thank you for joining us today. I am Brenda Bryant. And I am David Bryant. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes on our website, renovationmaderight.com, and follow us on social media at Renovation Made Right. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you like the show, leave us a review.